Hey gang, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to Who the Fuck? A show that explores the power of human connection and the profound resilience of the human spirit through compassionate conversations that help you better understand yourself so you can live with the sense of peace, purpose, and joy that you deserve. Each episode offers a safe space for guests to share intimate details of their personal journey and lessons learned along the way as we all seek to answer life's most important question. Who the fuck am I? On today's episode, I'm sharing the mic with Mitch Hankins, and Mitch is a software developer, writer, podcaster, and mental health advocate with a mission to help people understand how to create space for themselves and for others to show up authentically. Welcome to the show, Mitch. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks, Nikki. I'm really excited to be here too. Last time we talked, I had a blast. I'm really looking forward to just continuing that conversation. For sure. The thing that really stood out to me when we first spoke was just this really innate positive energy that you emanate. So I'm looking forward to giving a taste of that to the listeners and letting them get to know you a little bit better. As I mentioned, you're a software developer, but a big passion in your life is really helping people as well. So how did you sort of go from being in the headspace of I'm doing something that's deeply technical, I'm looking at code and then coming away from that or maybe being in that and thinking I need to feel more connected to people and I want to be able to share my experiences. You know, there's, I would say, a confluence of events that really happened over the decades. There was definitely a turning point in my life where kind of all those events came together and where I truly internalized those lessons. And really, the best way to explain it is that I have always lived a life of isolation and independence, of believing it is me against the world, and I can't trust anyone, I can't rely on anyone, I have to do this myself, I have to take care of myself, I have to protect myself, I can't count on anyone else to do that for me. And that's how I designed my life, and part of that in life experiences that were taught to me, such as my time in the military, that kind of, I would say, exacerbated those feelings of, I have to protect myself, I have to look out for myself, especially like being a man means taking care of yourself and not being vulnerable. And I decided to look to the future and kind of project that into the future. So I thought, what career field will set me up for a path of financial success, while also minimizing my dependence on other people? And I decided that would be computer programming because I thought it will just be me sitting at a desk. It's a high demand career field, so I can set certain demands around how much I want to interact with other people. And I achieved that goal. And then every time I achieved certain goals like that, I would push the boundaries farther. I would say, now I want to make more money or now I want to work two days from home. And then I made more money and I worked two days from home. And then I said, now I want to be fully remote from home and I want to make even more money. And I kept pushing that boundary farther and farther and farther. And the more I achieved in that arena, the more I realized the emptiness I felt inside of me. And I think really the moment that it came together most is when I wanted to push my financial goals for even farther. And I decided to buy real estate, but the area I lived in where I was very happy at the time, San Diego, it just really wasn't affordable with my goals. So I decided to move to Columbus because there was still affordable real estate investments there. 
And I packed up all my stuff and I left my friends behind and just moved across the country. And I went to Columbus and I ended up making really good friends there. But it's really there that I discovered, like, I have been putting everything behind just in the singular goal of becoming financially independent. And I realized that I wasn't building community. I had no reliable close friends that I've been in touch with for years. I didn't have a sense of belonging. I had all these core beliefs that I always had with me. Like, I'm not a person of value. I'm not worthy. I'm not lovable. And I kind of made that into a self-fulfilling prophecy because I wasn't a person that contributed anything to anyone's life. And it was at that point that I really realized here I am in a new city that I'd never been before just because I wanted to buy real estate and I've achieved another financial goal. I live for free because I have my tenants paying my rents. Every month my net worth is going up and yet I'm unhappier and unhappier. And then I decided to just go the opposite end. I thought, let me focus on really building community and put money on the back burner and just live in the here and now and see what comes out of that, what happens. So I got in the car, I sold my duplex, I drove all the way back from Columbus to San Diego, and I ended up being able to buy a beautiful home here and building community and really becoming someone that I feel people can depend on when they need it. And I've never been this happy. I love that the self-awareness that you have is so apparent. And there's a couple of things that I want to dive into on that. The first is addressing the fact that you you very much recognize that your desire and or need for independence was guiding you for quite some time. And that independence was because of a sense of reliability and knowing that like you could count on yourself. So it was, let's say, quote unquote, safer to only rely on yourself, because if you don't need other people to make sure that things are okay, then you are in a position where you can't be disappointed or let down or hurt by somebody else. I think a lot of times people have that feeling when it comes to that isolation. You spoke about how when you were in the military, that factored into that belief. Do you feel that was something that you had cultivated when you were younger as a sense of self? Or do you feel like that was something that was embedded in you over the time you were growing up as well? Yeah, it's a really good question. As with most things, it definitely started in childhood. I think the military just can really magnify certain aspects of your personality, just like a lot of demanding career fields can. Growing up, I had a very supportive and loving family, but also people that carried their own issues with them. And that's how generational traumas tend to work, right? People can do their best and they can do their best in the moment. And then you look back a few years and you say, I did my best, but something still went wrong. And I would say I was a very unusual child. I was very curious I asked a lot of questions. I was very energetic, very high maintenance. And I lived in a society, I grew up in the Netherlands. I lived in a place where the common wisdom is, um, you know, there's this Dutch saying, just act normal, that's crazy enough, which is really very much the Dutch culture. So it's very much look like a box, talk like a box and fit in a box. And ever since I was a child, I just absolutely hated that. So I noticed the more I embraced myself authentically, the more I was rejected by adults and by peers. And so because of that, it really started in childhood where I learned if I act the way that my feelings tell me to act, 
I will be an outcast. And so I learned to repress that. And because of that, I got very disconnected with my emotions and with my mental state. It was really that left part of the brain, the analytical side. I became very logical, very robotic, because that was the shot built up in order to survive. And there was further trauma throughout my teenage years. And that was really the only personality trait that got me through that. I don't think I would have been alive if I hadn't built up that outer shell. So going through the military, obviously I have my own responsibility too. I'm a big believer in ownership. I decided to act certain ways or say certain things. And I have to take ownership over that. But the military isn't a caring organization that's going to sit you down and say, what's wrong with you? They're going to say, you act this certain way and you're going to do this by the regulations. We're going to be knocking you down a few notches. Yeah. So it can really exacerbate certain things. And I think that was definitely the case with me. Yeah, I appreciate the way that you explained that also. It's interesting that you said you became robotic and were shielding the parts of yourself that felt most authentic because you're stifling that as a result of the response that you're getting when you do communicate your feelings. I understand that to some degree. I was very impulsive as a child and my mom would always be like, you just, you have to have the last word. You have to have the last word. Yeah. It's like, well then... I will just have a podcast. That's fine. Um, <laughs> just self-fulfilling prophecies, as you said. Where's your strengths? Right? Um, but, you know, I think that it's interesting, too, because to use the term robotic, being in technology, and because I've spent most of my career in tech as a product manager, I can understand the isolation, especially as a developer. But I think that one of the things that is really also quite interesting about what you said, too, is that ability to acknowledge that let's call it point of diminishing returns where you had set this path for yourself being like this is what i want to achieve these are my goals i know that the journey itself probably wasn't linear but like the perception of the journey is pretty linear i go to school i get this job i make this money i make this investment i then do this i then do that and we follow this straight and narrow and that's something that is becoming quite disrupted at this point. I think people are gaining that sense of clarity that you found, which is, yes, I'm good at this. Yes, I'm capable at doing this. And yes, it's giving me something that I want. But that thing that I want isn't also the thing that makes me feel fulfilled. Yes. I want to say it feels a little dishonest to yourself in a way and not to say that it's inauthentic in that regard, but it's just there's a gap between who you truly are and what you're actually doing and what do you do to fill that gap. And it sounds like you making the decision to move back to San Diego, which I love that you did that. There's such a massive difference between San Diego and Columbus, Ohio. Yes. That's just a whole conversation for a different day because like the <laughs> culture shock of that situation just boggles my mind. It really highlights the fact that we have the option to make these choices and we often feel very pigeonholed into decisions that we've already made. And I was actually speaking to a guest yesterday about this where she had made the comment that people often think when you decide something, that is the choice that you've made. And she referenced the origin of the word decide in Latin means to cut. And so it's basically like you are choosing, this is the specific path you're going down and that's the way that it's going to happen. And it is important to acknowledge that you can find yourself on a path that you've 
chosen at some point and say, you know what, I don't feel like this is what I want anymore, or this doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't bring me joy. It doesn't make me feel fulfilled or happy or whatever it is that you're seeking. So you do have to take a moment of pause and give yourself the space to be able to turn around and ask, what is it that I need? What is it that I want? What am I seeking that is missing now? And so I'm curious, you mentioned the lack of community that you felt and you created your life in a way that would keep you isolated. Was there any particular moment that you were able to acknowledge, like, I feel very isolated or I'm able to see clearly that I don't have that community that I want? Or was it more of a gradual unraveling where you were realizing emotional needs that aren't being met and I need to find people to help support that? I would say there were really two defining moments for me, one emotional and one where I was able to put words around it. The emotional aspect came the first night that I arrived in Columbus. I'd driven for about two days or so, and I had my dogs in the car. I had all my possessions, everything that fit in my Prius, I took with me. Anything that didn't fit, I threw away. So you brought your dogs. It was you and your dogs and your Prius, because that's what fits in a Prius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And some clothes, which is, I mean, I have three sets, so we're good. And then the first night I got there, and like I said, I'd never been in my lifetime. I'd never set a foot in Ohio before. So I bought this place and I'd done my research. Like I knew the math worked, but I just never been there. I didn't know anyone. So, you know, we pulled up to the house and I just remember sitting against the wall in the living room. And at that time, I had just moved from San Diego place on the cliffs where I was surfing every day. So I had this weird thing where if I closed my eyes... I could feel myself being lifted up and down by the ocean. That was happened anytime I closed my eyes. Like when I laid in bed, anytime that I closed my eyes, I would see waves coming at me and feel going, feel myself going up and down. And it was the most soothing thing that I've ever experienced in life. And I was sitting against the wall and I closed my eyes and I felt that feeling. And it was at that moment that I realized that I didn't know anyone there and that I wouldn't have that water nearby anywhere. And all I did was just cry. And I just thought, like, how can this be a good thing? And like I said, I did end up really making good friends. They're amazing people. But that first night, that kind of set the tone of, wow, I was not expecting it to cut this deep. And at that point, I don't think I could even really verbalize why I was feeling those things because I was still so disconnected from my feelings. But it was at that same time that I decided to go into therapy. I wanted to try this technique called EMDR therapy. I pause for a second and ask you to explain that. And I know what EMDR is. It would be helpful maybe if you can just explain a little bit for anybody who might not understand what that is. I'd be happy to. The best way to say it is that trauma is like knots in the brain, just like knots in a rope. And the idea is to unknot the brain to make everything fluidly connect to each other again, because trauma is just disconnections in the brain, which causes lots of issues, obviously. EMDR kind of revolves around using different techniques, like some of them use tapping devices, other use sounds and things like that, and reprocess traumatic memories in such a way that they become a cohesive whole and reintegrate it with the brain. That was such and a great summary of it. And then, you know, that therapist, I explained to him my situation. I told him about that night I sat against the wall and he just kind of looked at me like this disbelief or not disbelief, but really like this look of, you just don't realize it, do you? And he said something along the lines of, I don't think you're upset because you're not achieving your goals. I think you're upset because you're lonely because you don't have a community. And that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks because 
I had never in my life considered that. I had never in my lifetime considered that I'm lonely because, I mean, I talk to my family every day, you know, they felt like I shouldn't be lonely. I had been given a fully functioning body. I had nothing to complain about. And it wasn't until he said it to me that directly that I realized, yeah, he's right. He's right. I'm lonely. I find it fascinating too, because something that for me, I thrive on human connection. And so this feeling of isolation is definitely a departure of sort of where I am usually. And it's a result of actively cultivating community, even though I did feel like I lacked a sense of belonging a lot of my life. I think having that community and finding even just like the rare person in a moment of feeling loneliness, I would find another person who was maybe feeling the same way I was, find that relatability and be able to cultivate some sort of relationship there. And growing up, I just think about middle school where it's like, ugh, just the worst years. You're like, just not the best version of yourself at all. I have no idea what's happening in the world. You're kind of an asshole most of the time. I just had these various groups of friends, but they were like rotating based on any circumstance. Yeah. And so yeah. I think I lacked like that consistent connection. And that was something that became really apparent to me when I went to college. It was like, okay, like you have roommates and you have these friends from class and stuff, but yeah. like, who's your core group of friends, you know? And I think that was the first time for me that I like really felt that sense of it is about community and it is about relationships that have a sense of wholeness to them. You had mentioned earlier, those people that you can rely on, those people that you can go to and find that safe space and be able to show up regardless of what's happening in your life. And so after going through this experience where you were, it sounds like really just acknowledging for one of the first times, I need to take a step back and ask myself why I feel this way. Do you think that awakened you to your broader exploration of why maybe you hadn't cultivated community and then what it was that you were searching for? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely set me out on that trail. And I think I start realizing that I had never set out to create relationships like that because they didn't feel safe to me. My beliefs revolved around things such as if I trust someone and I invest someone, those people will just end up hurting me. And if I give someone information or if I rely on someone, that will just be used against me at some point. The biggest turning point, I would say, was realizing that just as you said, having people that you can invest in and that will show up for you, but realizing very much the quality of the person that you're investing in and how much of a similar mindset they are. Are you investing someone because they're available or are you investing in someone because they have earned your trust? That's a really great point, Mitch. I felt that way growing up. You think about like friends of convenience, people who are around. Yes. And so then yes. that is how you associate but then the older that you get or the more awareness you have regardless of age you start to ask yourself okay but why why am i friends with this person or why do i associate with this person and that can even be with family too right like you can have feelings of i don't feel at home with my family i feel at home with my chosen family and the fact that we have the ability to navigate that is really, I think, a beautiful thing as human beings, but it also requires a lot of inner work to get to the place where you establish 
why that's where you are to begin with. And it sounds like that was definitely part of the journey for you was really understanding your desire for safety had transformed into this space of isolation. It's almost like it was tactically by design, but like emotionally it wasn't by design. You know what I mean? Exactly. I don't know that makes total sense, but. (laughs) It makes 100%. It was being logical. It almost feels to me like at that time, my emotional brain was just shut off. And of course you can't shut it off. I mean, I even remember doing research into reducing emotions. Like I remember reading this story, I think his name was, no, Nicholas Cage is the actor, but it's something Cage, Thomas Cager. It was this guy in the 19th century who was working on the Amtrak rail tracks. There was this horrific accident, this uh, steel pipe guy. Oh my God, Phineas Gage is the guy's name. It was the, it was the. (laughs) See, that's close to Nicholas Cage. Potato, potato, Mitch, whatever. (laughs) I just love how I talk about these things. See, this is what I mean when you got to find similar minded people. Like this is exactly what I mean. Like I barely (laughs) tell the story and you already know what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. Okay, sorry, go on. So the guy's name is Phineas Gage. He was a railroad worker. A part of his brain got damaged and it was the, I believe the amygdala, which is really alarm center of the brain. Like it's in the brainstem, the most primitive part of the brain. And it kind of, you know, releases, if you go flight or fight, all that is triggered by the amygdala and his part of his emotional regulation got destroyed. So he felt no emotion. And to me at the time, that sounded incredibly amazing. Like that's the mindset I was in. But when they followed up with this guy, because he survived But it turned out that he had no motivation to do whatsoever. Like he knew it was important to go shower or to brush his teeth, but he didn't do it. Like he knew that he had to go out and do things or make money, but he didn't do it. He just had no urge to do anything. And that's because if we talk about emotion and we go back to etymology, to the root meaning of words, emotion is um, old Greek for energy and motion. Emotions are what make us do things. So if I learned that by being so logical and by completely cutting out the emotional aspect of myself back to robot, I became this robot that was only really going through the motions and pretending to have a successful life. But inside, I, I mean, I didn't really care whether I lived or not. Like it was just this state of flux where you were existing, but you weren't living. Yes, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting, too, to hear you say that you were researching, like, how could you live without emotion? Like, how could you function without emotion? Particularly because you show up so fully and I feel like you radiate. So it's hard to imagine you in a very robotic state. Do you feel like your presence has changed since you've had these realizations and done the work to acknowledge the importance of that because the word robotic is just like the last word that would come to mind when i think of you well that's that's very kind that means a lot to me i think there was a massive transformation yes there and it's a lot of times where our greatest strengths are our biggest downfall and our biggest weaknesses are our greatest potential right it's that whole gap thing where yes it was very different a few years ago this is a change that's happened over the past I don't know, two years or so. I don't know if you ever heard of Vulcans on Star Trek. I'm not much of a Trekkie, so you're going to have to dumb that one down for me. (laughs) Okay, well, I can't blame you. So essentially, the Vulcans are this race on Star Trek whose whole culture revolves around the suppression of emotions. Like they meditate all day long. You could essentially see them as Buddhists that only embrace logic. Like their whole existence revolves around logic and the suppression of emotions. So like the actors will never show facial expressions. They're just robots in human skin. So I used to get people making reference to that all the time, like calling me a Vulcan. There's one time I always try to build courage by doing things that really scare me. So one time I sent an email to like 
uh, coworkers, bosses, my closest friends and family, just asking them, like, be brutally honest with me. How can I improve my life? And one of my friends and a mentor told me that when he first knew me or first got to know me, he didn't even know if I experienced emotions at all. And remember, that's coming from a person who to me at that point in my life was the closest that anyone had ever been to me. Wow. So that kind of hit me. I'm like, wow, if I'm very close with this person and they're doubting whether I even experience emotion, there's obviously a problem. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. That's a, a revelation in and of itself. I do want to take a moment and step back into the fact that you did that, that you had the desire to understand yourself enough that you sought external feedback um, and in a way that was very direct yeah. to really point blank be like, I'm I'm really trying to understand myself and I need people mm -hmm. who are around me, who know me to help me to see that because yeah. when you are internalizing so much and when you're coming out of that moment of let's say disillusion you realize that like you can't only rely on yourself in that moment it's very relatable to me when i consider the last relationship that i was in and it was very psychologically abusive and when i came away from it my closest friends and family have said repeatedly, you're back to you. I see yeah. you again. And yeah. I had one of my very similar moment, one of my best friends who met me while I was in a relationship with this other person. So this was interesting because at some point in that relationship, I hadn't gone so far down the rabbit hole. So she knew who I was ish prior to this person. She said, you are like a corpse of yourself. And I was like, oh God, oh, that's terrible. I hate that. And then I was like, thank you. I needed yeah. that. I needed to hear that because I needed to understand what it was from the outside looking in, in a way that wasn't critical of me, which is why I internalized so much of it while I was in it. I was worried about judgment. I was worried about just creating chaos in other people's lives. And so it was like, internalize, internalize, internalize. And then once you're ready to expose that wound and try to heal it, you do want that feedback from other people because you start to question like, why did I do this yeah. this way? Or was there something that like I missed or something I should have done differently? What is it that will help me be more secure in myself to be able to move forward with more intention and with like a better sense of who I am so then I can lead a better life? As I said, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but like that feeling of I want you to tell me what your experience with me is so then I can understand my own experience better. 100%. That makes me curious because I think you brought up such a beautiful and powerful point. And I think to anyone listening, I would ask you, how did you learn to take that comment that your friend made as something that you could thrive on instead of seeing it as an attack? Like, how were you able to use that for good? Ooh, good question. I think the helpful part of that was that I was in a place of healing already. I had done a lot of work to be able to first and foremost manage what I was dealing with. I don't know if you feel this way, but I don't think it's like a you just die right into healing. It's like you're trying to figure that shit out first and we're like, okay, what's happening here? Orient yourself to the situation, 
manage it in a way that like you can still function but then also be going down this journey it's like a little bit of a trickle effect because at least in my experience i think it would be very difficult to just dive right in with both feet and feel completely uninhibited and trying to heal because so much of what we do to avoid discomfort is slow drip our healing process it's like okay well first thing i'm gonna do is this and they're like okay then this once you get more comfortable with it it's a lot easier and you get into the flow of it and eventually you're smooth sailing to give a surfing analogy i would say get on that little wave first first thing you're trying to do is stand on the board okay you're not trying to hit a massive wave first time out okay because i love when you catch a wave it's so great and i'm like but damn, I need more strength in my shoulders because I can only do this for so long. And so you're building that muscle and you're learning more about yourself and what it is that you need throughout the process. And so as you're strengthening that, you're getting to a place where you're more capable of really understanding and achieving those bigger milestones. And I think when my friend said that to me, I was in a much more aware and emotionally available mindset to receive it, to be able to say, okay, it really hurts, but it wasn't said in an offense. It was really just a statement of fact. And it was hard to hear because I still carried shame about staying in the relationship for as long as I did. And for ignoring obvious things that I felt I, I knew were wrong. And so it was really interesting to hear that perspective because this is a friend of mine who I consider family. This is somebody who's a sister to me. It's like the thing that somebody can't, or won't say to you when you're in the situation. But when you look back at it and you're like, you're right. And then the thing that I've taken from that the most is as I've moved further away from that relationship, as I've healed more, I can receive that feedback and acknowledge it with a lot more objectivity. That is super, super accurate. I was a shell of myself and I didn't even realize it because I was so preoccupied with all the shit that was going on in my life. So I think that's a really good question. And it's the evolution of healing, I think is the short answer. I love that. I would say my experience is very similar to that. Exactly. I love the surf analogy. It all seems coming back to where we live in a kind of a society where we want to take a pill to get to lose all the fat or take a pill to get really smarter. It's always the quick, easy fixes. And we think we can just turn on a button and overnight we're done. But I've always had people like talk to me about whether it's discipline I have or exercising all these different things. And then when you talk to people, a lot of times the underlying mindset is just like getting it done immediately. Yeah. But the realization, the epiphany of it's one small step every single day. If you take just one small step every day, you will walk miles in a decade. And it compounds too, you know, it's for courage, discipline, self-improvement. It's just doing like the smallest thing I can handle today that puts me just a little bit out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great mindset to have. I mean, and thinking about that, you have had a lot of life experience. You have a variety of life experience, (laughs) I think is a good way to refer to it. What is it that you think where you are now compared to where you were then has been really the most transformative thing for you? Has it been cultivating that community and being really intentional about it? I would say, yes, it's cultivating the intentions. It's really been getting in touch with who I am as a person and using that knowledge to build the courage to live the life as that person and then attracting the right people. I don't think it's so much as you know, all times we're really focused on, oh, I want to have these and these people around me, but 
it's cause and effect. You start by attacking your own insecurities and wondering like, what are my triggers? What sort of things upset me? Is it when my partner looks at someone else? Is it when somebody doesn't respond to me soon enough through text? What are my triggers? And what sort of things make me happy in life? And then start doing those things. And then you start believing yourself. You start trusting yourself because it feels right. When people can see that confidence and they can see that you don't care what society wants you to do. You don't care about what expectations are. You just live by what feels right to you. Then all of a sudden you start attracting the right people that support you and that want to do the same things that want to see you succeed. Yeah, I just got goosebumps because it's so relatable. In particular, that piece about really shedding the expectations of other people and the magnetism that comes with that. This was something I talked about in therapy very early on that I've just always had this pervasive insecurity. And when you made the comment about when people take a longer time to respond on text, the same friend who told me that I was like the corpse of who I was knew when we first met as friends that I communicate in, in length form and she is like if I don't respond right away it's not because I'm I don't care or I don't have a response in fact it's probably that I have a response but I don't have time to respond to the same depth I just want you to know that because I know the way your brain works and I know you're gonna think something that is not true to be able to feel so seen by somebody that I knew for such a limited amount of time at that point was really really unique and gratifying and even just saying it in that moment like i have such a raw appreciation for it because that foundationally changed the way that i approached other relationships moving forward after the fact sometimes you just need one person to help you set the tone too to give you the safety that you need to be able to trust yourself to be able to feel comfortable in your own knowing but then to also feel supported by people and i think that internal trust that ability to say, I know what I'm doing is okay, or right, or it doesn't matter what that person thinks I'm doing it anyway. Obviously, that's with regard to other people, you know, it's not just like, fly away, do whatever you want, who cares what impact it has on anyone else. I mean, yes, and no, I live with the philosophy of still be a good human being and have morals. But I think that we get so caught in the compromise of what makes everybody else comfortable that we spend so much time existing in a state of discomfort because we're afraid that somebody will respond poorly to that. And you're like, well, if you respond poorly to that, then don't be around me. And I used to take it so personally. Now I'm like, okay, then don't be around me, I guess. Like it's on you. (laughs) Yeah, exact same here. I have literally, I couldn't agree more. I've literally told friends where I'm like, listen, and they end up respecting it, but where it's just like, this is my truth. I'm speaking my truth. I understand that it's different for you. I've even had this conversation with family where it's like, I understand we all live in a different reality. All I'm doing is what feels right to me. And you don't have to agree with it. It only needs to be expressed. And we can choose to walk together in life, or we can choose to walk separately for a while. But if you don't like it, then don't hang out with me. Like I cannot change who I am to appease you because I will be miserable. I will be a shell. I will be a corpse. I can't do that. Yeah. And I think you make an interesting point too, which is that other person has the ability to decide that as well. Right. So it's like, if you don't want to spend time with me, then that's okay. One of my really good friends says this a lot. It's like, I'm not for everybody and Mm -hmm. it's true. And I've probably mentioned it on other episodes because it's so valid. It takes hearing that sometimes to be able to acknowledge that within yourself, to be able to be like, you know what? 
it's not about me. And if it is about me, that's also okay. And one of the things that I think is so valuable in what you've been saying too, is that ability to decide where you spend your time, where you put your energy, and that it is ultimately within your power to make that choice. And yes. so when you came away from this feeling of I'm isolated and I don't have the community that I need, I need to change that and I want to change that, it really started with you going inward and saying, what is it that is going on inside of me that makes me feel like I want to be alone or I want to be by myself without a lot of external influence. But then you went on this really significant journey of transformation to come around to being so open and so available and so willing to express yourself. Like, how do you feel looking at that and knowing that you really dedicated that time to yourself to be able to get to a place where you're feeling more joy and gratitude for your life and you have people to share that with. Right. I would say it's one of the hardest things I've done in my life. I've done a lot of things that took courage, you know, like jumping off of high cliffs or jumping off of bridges or doing extreme sports or skydiving, all these things. They're nothing compared to the courage you have to build in our society to really fully embrace yourself. And it's not something they once do and it's done. Yeah. It's a journey every single day. It's waking up every single day with certain thoughts and not fighting them, but accepting them as part of yourself and listening to them and understanding that they're trying to give you information and also being able to filter out the good from the bad. Like, are these thoughts helping me? Are they useful? And once you do build that courage, I do think it's the most powerful thing you can ever discover because I'm at this point where I don't even, and this might sound silly, but I don't even fear death anymore because I feel like I've discovered what takes most people until their deathbed to figure out, you know, that it's not about possessions. It's not about status achievements or, or any other material things. It's about realizing that when you express the gift that you were born with and trying to find that gift and expressing it and adding value to other people's lives, that's when you fully lived. And that's all that matters to me. Like I'm doing that every single day. And whether I get to do that for another 50 years, I would love to be doing it for another 50 years or another day. That's okay. Like it's all that matters is what I'm doing right now. That's such a beautiful sentiment. I was actually just talking about this. When you make the commitment to yourself that you're going to do the work, that you're going to show up for yourself beyond anything else that you might want to do, that is a moment-to-moment -moment journey, especially when you have experienced severe trauma. I think people have an expectation in their minds when you say the word trauma. People say like big T or little T trauma. Forget that. Like we all go through shit. Everybody oh, has some form of trauma. But when you have something that like really disrupts your life in an overt way, especially as an adult, when you're self-aware, because there's so much childhood trauma that we can't verbalize and we don't remember and blah, 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 and things that we have to like peel back the onion and go to that path. That's not even what I'm talking about. Just give yourself enough space to say, why did I do those things recently? Or when those things happened, how did I respond to them? Like there will still be moments in my days. Yesterday was a great example. I was watching a show with my partner and something happened and I just snapped into this state of like weird compartmentalization where it was almost like I felt the PTSD happening and it was just like, oh, fuck. 
And I just started feeling really blank and she was observing it. And it was like, I'm going to go shower. I just need to feel what I'm feeling, work through this. I don't know what's happening. And then I came back down after a little bit and I was just like, I need to emote. I need to explain to you why I'm feeling this way. And I think especially having a really supportive partner has been helpful for me because in that time where I was leaving the relationship, I had also lost my mom. And so those emotions converge like very aggressively sometimes. If I wasn't able to find myself on a healing path in advance of now, I really do question where I would be because I have found a lot of peace after a lot of pain because I wake up every day with the intention of trying to live a better life. A lot of people fall into this state of almost regression because they struggle to look forward and it isn't just a quick fix. You don't just flip the switch and everything's better because you went to therapy once or for six months or whatever. Like you have to keep doing that because as human beings, I mean, it's Darwinism, like adapt or die. Emotionally, that applies too. Sometimes you have to do more. Sometimes you don't have to think about it as much, but it's more about an application to your life rather than just like a thing that you do and you check off the list. I couldn't agree more. Also, I think that's where the opportunity lies. A lot of the times just hearing that, or even when I didn't fully make that realization yet, I hear people talking about it on podcasts, read about it in books. You know, I might've thought something like, oh gosh, well then why put in the work if you're just going to have to do it every single day and it's not, you're not going to fix it. Then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, pain tells you something. Pain and pleasure really are in the same centers in the brain. It's the same thing. Our perception is what's different. Pain is just as much of an indicator as pleasure is. Of course, we want to maximize pleasure because that's what makes us actually happy. But pain tells us information. It's not something that you want to disregard. It's not something you would necessarily want to seek out either. But when there is pain, it really is a signal from your body, your mind, either like, you know, if you stub your toe, it's your body telling you, hey, your toe hurts, stop using it for a little bit so I can heal it. If your mind is in pain, it's telling you something. It's telling you you're lonely or you're upset about something. It's giving you an opportunity to become a bigger person, to become more of who you are. And when you accept that challenge, you're going to show up with so much more energy and so much more pleasure in life instead of just feeling like you're getting dragged around. Yeah. I love your perspective, Mitch. I just feel like this was such a serendipitous meeting because it comes back to that whole magnetism, right? I mean, you attract the people into your life yeah. that have an understanding of it, right? It's interesting too, because you can have the same types of understanding, but different experiences that then really help you grow even beyond what you knew. And so it's not really like a group think mentality in terms of attracting like-minded people. Right. It's attracting people with the same type of energy and desire for growth. Exactly. And, because you want different opinions. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes I don't want to hear it, but like, yeah. I'm open to it. You know, like sometimes I take a little longer to process and evaluate how I feel about it. But you know, I'm curious from your experience, what would you say to somebody who is maybe in a similar place or similar mindset that you were previously where they're comfort or safety comes from that sense of isolation, but they're maybe awakening to the fact that they need more than that. How would you help guide somebody down a path that maybe fits them? Because obviously it's not one size fits all. They're not going to do exactly what you did. Yes. I would say, first of all, you're not alone. That's the most damaging belief I used to have. I thought I'm the only one that feels this way because nobody around me, especially men, didn't talk this way. And you're, whatever you're feeling, there are billions of people on this planet. Your experiences are unique and they're valid, but you're not alone. 
that's very important to realize because when you realize that, you know that there's other people who feel what you're feeling and who have been able to move beyond it or to move with it. And second is get curious. Don't repress things. Like that's so easy to do. That's what our society teaches us to do. I used to self-medicate with alcohol. I used to self-meditate or self-medicate, <laughs> meditate too, but medicate with weed. Yeah. That's all just suppressing curiosity. Like you wouldn't be doing that if you're already happy. Like you wouldn't have a need to do that. Yeah, like, you're pressing pause on whatever it is that you're feeling basically. Yes. You're saying I'm too uncomfortable to deal with this right now. So I'm going to find a distraction and that's okay. We're human. Like we all do that. But if you continuously do it, you're going to get disconnected and disconnected and more disconnected and just get more confused. So realize you're not alone get curious about where you're feeling and lean into it. Like if you're curious, if you're sitting at home all the time and especially like post pandemic and you feel like you don't have a core group of friends or get curious about like, well, what would you like to do? Would you like to be in a book club or would you like to play games with others? Would you like to start board games? Would you like to do physical exercises like climbing or like hiking? Go find groups that do that and try it out. Like you don't have to commit to like a year. Go try things that feel that you're curious about and once you start doing that more and more, you're going to get like this level of insight into yourself that starts attracting people to you. It's really just building a belief in yourself by understanding that you can relate to pretty much anyone and you just have to relate to the people that bring out the best in you. Yeah, you spelled that out really well. The curiosity piece of it is so instrumental. Yeah. It really is the linchpin to getting where you want to go. You know, it's interesting because right before I met my partner, I had gotten to this place where I was like, you know what, I keep entering these toxic relationships with people. I've done it my whole life. What is that? Like, I grew up in a loving family. My parents loved each other. What is it about me? What's my insecurity? What is this? And I was in therapy and I was like, you know, I realized I've never really asked myself what I want or need in a relationship. What are my deal breakers? I wanted somebody who wanted to be with me the same way I wanted to be with them. And that is a very, very broad stroke statement that doesn't really tell you much about what it is you're looking for or what make you happy. And so I wrote a list of my wants, needs and deal breakers. And I tell everybody to do this because I'm like, if you are unhappy yes. in life, yeah. whether it's in a relationship or whatever is going on in your world, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? What will you not accept in your life? And I will Love tell it. you right now, Mitch, it changed everything for me because yes, it was an extremely long list, but it was reasonable. <laughs> I had actually been looking at this list of core human values. So my brain was processing, like, what does it mean to have those values? What does it mean for somebody that I would be around to have those values? And really being like, okay, these are things I don't compromise on. These are things that like, as a human being, if you are foundationally different here, we're probably not for each other maybe as friends in some like low-key regard but probably not because it's values and then it's like well okay what are my wants versus needs like what will i not settle for entirely what would i like to have and it would be like a great add-on and giving ourselves the space to ask those questions and revisit that because it is a moment in time. It is not like five years from now, maybe some of those things will be different. Some of those things will perpetuate for the rest of my life. I want to be with somebody or have friends who have integrity, period, full stop. Yep. I'm not so wavering on it, you know? But there are other things that maybe won't be as significant 
at some point and it's less of the deal breaker mentality but we have to ask ourselves to know that and it was such a weird revelation to be like how have i never done this how have i never asked myself it's so true what i want that seems crazy yeah. but i think a lot of people don't we're taught to make other people comfortable when we're children and it's our parents, even if they have good intentions, it's our teachers in school, it's our employers at work, it's our friends, because everybody is very comfortable ensuring like that other people are making them comfortable, but we don't have a clear idea of what our own boundaries are. Yeah. That's so powerful. What you just said, it's knowing what your boundaries are is so important because you can only have respect for yourself if you only let people treat you in a certain way that's acceptable to you. Like if you let people cross a certain line, you're not going to respect yourself. And then you're going to do it, let people do it over and over and over again. It's just going to be this pattern. Yeah. You teach people how to treat you. Right. And yeah. to your point, I had read this book, adult children of emotionally immature parents. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And it was one of those things where it gave me a lot of perspective and it gave me the ability to have grace for my parents in a lot of ways, because I think they raised me very well in the grand scheme of things. I, I believe that I'm a good human being. I'm a contributing member of society. But right. I also know that their own limitations created challenges in my life and really flimsy boundaries in certain regards. And you made the comment about employers and teachers as well. These are the societal expectations that dictate when you get to be who you are and when yes. you have to fall in line. And to your comment about the military earlier, I mean, literally fall in line. Like these are yeah. the rules that you follow, period, full stop. So yep. when you cultivate communities and society around this idea that this is what you do and this is how you do it and that's the way it is tough shit of course we're going to restrain ourselves of course we're going to feel conflicted of course we're going to feel stifled we're having this moment i think as a generation and we're basically like but i want to be who i am this doesn't make sense why are we still doing it this way and so that curiosity is leading to questioning and god forbid we question it right don't right. question it don't mess with it right you can't stop that it feels very profound right now this moment in history feels really transformational at like a global level because you're seeing so much revolution happening in like smaller pockets but then expanding and really thinking about everybody's feeling this because it's powerful it's really powerful in a positive way so too then this is what you've said from our first conversation is give ourselves the space give other people the space and when we all show up fully i think that inherently creates more community because we're open to it and we want that feeling it's really fulfilling to feel a true connection with somebody and how many true connections can you really have if nobody's being themselves i couldn't agree more and i think that's why i've always felt that there's been so many benefits to being in like a queer environment where you know we have all these people brought together that have just been thinking about what it means to live outside of the bounds of the patriarchy or normative standards. I think I really found that in San Diego too, where for the first time I thought, wow, I'm amongst people that live outside of society as well and challenge the standards and are perfectly happy doing that, yeah. aren't ashamed or embarrassed. You made a point about community. That's what it is. Like all of a sudden you have people doing that together. And that's when my most painful point of being an outsider really became my strength and it shined in the community and the whole community was built around that shared value. And that's why I'm so excited about the future too, just like you are, because 
it's a new generation that's challenging all these, the status quo and is getting curious and is sharing everything on social media. And yeah, it has downsides, but also they're the first ones that don't get all these dogmatism pushed down their throats and that actually get to question the world and maybe make it a better place. A hundred percent agree. Yes, it has its challenges because there's always going to be echo chambers. There's always going to be people that are funneling information that is hateful or inaccurate. There's also so much more fact sharing and there's so much more generation of ideas and there's so much more collaboration. Even just talking to my dad the other day, he's like, I just don't know how do people who are new musicians that are trying to like get their music out there, how are they marketing themselves and I was like well social media and I said and honestly like specifically right now things like TikTok you can randomly meet anybody at any given time and to your point about the queer community it's like the most popular videos that we have are the ones that where we're making light of situations where lesbians interact and everybody's like oh my god me too so it's like people are engaged because they do want to feel seen they do want to feel heard and they also understand that there is this really great opportunity to create connections with people that in any other scenario absent that platform or the internet in general you wouldn't meet them you wouldn't know them and there would not be this opportunity so why would we not capitalize on that chance to create a broader um, community and create more connections so then we can share more ideas and we can create more space for people it's like we can actually all rise together it doesn't have to be stepping on everyone's back to get there it can be a unified effort to create a better world and that does i think as we've been saying this whole time really start with you and what is it that you want to do to contribute to the world, but also who do you want to be? How do you want to show up? So I just, I really, really, uh, I leave this conversation with just such an immense amount of gratitude for you, Mitch, and for the conversation itself. And to just be really grateful that our listeners will get to hear this because I think there's so much more that we can talk about. And I look forward to sharing those conversations too. I do too. Yes. I'm very grateful too. I always have an amazing conversation with you, but this was particularly a very pleasant Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much again, Mitch. Gang, that's all for this episode of Who the Fuck. If you enjoyed our conversation today and want to hear more, you can check out Mitch's website, thedebuglife.com. And while you're there, you can check out his podcast of the same name. And don't forget to follow Mitch on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube to stay up to date for when he releases new content. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Who the Fuck. And if you like what you hear, share the show with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else you think needs a healthy dose of introspection and raw authenticity. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. It's always appreciated. And you can also visit whothefck.com to check out more content. Plus, you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at whothefck underscore pod to keep up to date with what's new in my world and for exclusive bonus content. Catch you on the flip side.